I'm John Kroll. Today on No Limits, we're going to talk about something fundamental to the operation of a self-governing society. We're going to talk about elections, voters, and the sharing of voter registration data across state lines. My guests are John Fortier, Director of the Democracy Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, a Republican, and Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos, a Democrat. Please join the conversation. Call 866-476-3881, email nolimits at wfyi.org, find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI, or track us down on Twitter at WFYI. Now, this news. New York City's mayor and police. Welcome to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. We're going to be talking about elections, voters, and voting today, specifically about sharing of voter registration data between states. If you want to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881. You can send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. You can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI or on Twitter at WFYI. And I should emphasize to everyone who is listening that we are under a severe thunderstorm watch for much of central Indiana, including just about all of of our listening area. Um, We sincerely hope that everyone is staying safe, warm, and dry uh, while the, uh, the skies rage out there. My guests are joining us via Skype are John Fortier. I'm hoping I pronounced your last name right. John, are you with us? I am with you, and that's correct. Uh, he's director of the Democracy Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and we're trying to get, uh, looks like we just got the secure um, phone connection. Eh, looks like it dropped again. Uh, secure phone connection with uh, um, Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos. Some of these things are being affected by the weather. We're also expecting to be joined by Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill. Uh, Secretary of State Condos is a Democrat, and uh, Secretary of State Merrill is a Republican. So I'm going to start first, John. Tell me a little bit about what the Democracy Project is and what the Bipartisan Policy Center is. Well, the Bipartisan Policy Center is a a think tank here in Washington, which really is dedicated to finding... um, some common ground between Republicans and Democrats on a number of public policy issues. Uh, it was founded 10 years ago by four former majority leaders, two Democrats, Tom Daschle and George Mitchell, and two Republicans, Howard Baker and, and Bob Dole. Uh, and it works on a number of issues. We at the Democracy Project work on issues related to the improvement of our government institutions in Congress, but also on elections and how we run elections. And we uh, especially have been working uh, with a prior commission. Uh, there's a commission in the news today, but the a commission appointed by President Obama, where he appointed his lawyer, Bob Bauer, and uh, Mitt Romney's lawyer, Ben Ginsburg, to, to come together with some election officials to find some things we agree on to fix in the election administration world, how we run elections. There's a lot that the parties disagree on, but we found an agenda really of things like voter registration improvement, uh, one of the top things that really both parties see a need for and try to work on those issues with with a lot of the states and a lot of the secretaries of state who were meeting in Indianapolis, and some of them will be on the program today. So uh, when you say that there's some things that, that we agree upon, what are, because it seems like uh, to most people who uh, who view politics and governance, and I should, uh, should uh, welcome our guest, Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos, uh, to the program right now. Sorry about the difficulties in getting you on the air. The weather's playing playing havoc with us here. Hope you're uh, dry where you are. That's okay. I I appreciate the chance to uh, speak with you. And uh, you know, the weather played havoc with me last night as I ended up not leaving Indianapolis until this morning. Oh, so you got out before the deluge started. Well, that's good. Um, I understand your uh, your colleague, uh, the Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, um, who's a Republican. Is, is trapped somewhere in transit right now and hopes to join us as, as soon as he can. That happens when you're flying around the country. Yes, yes. So, John, um, again, what, uh, what are some of the broad areas in which we do, you found agreement when it comes to elections? 
Right. And I mean, for now, leave aside the, the current uh, news of, of this, uh, of the Mike Pence Commission, uh, but really talk about um, our system. One of the reasons we need to have some way of, of states talking to each other about improving registration. Uh, I'm going to focus on that. The registration system, I would say both Democrats and Republicans broadly believe that we need to improve uh, the way we uh, have lists, uh, the way we get people on the rolls, and the way we keep our rolls accurate. Uh, to oversimplify, I think you, many on the Democratic side have emphasized the issue of access, that not everyone is registered who's eligible. About 75% of Americans who are eligible to register are on voter registration lists. Uh, on the other hand, there's, there's clearly a lot of messiness in the voter registration lists across the states. Um, it can happen that people have old addresses, um, still are left on the states that they used to live in and, and currently in also registered in another state. Sometimes they're not removed quickly when they die. Uh, and there's a lot of messiness going on there. So I think that the, this prior commission, the President's Commission on Election Administration, uh, appointed back in 2013, uh, agreed that this system needs to be modernized. A couple of big things. One, a lot of states should move towards online voter registration. Many states have done that. And two, they should find ways to effectively share data with each other so that uh, Indiana can know if a voter has moved to Ohio and there can be communication uh, to figure out if they're on the list twice or if they're not in their current address listed on the, on, the, on the current form. There are a couple of programs out there that states have voluntarily decided to join. Uh, one of them, Eric, another, uh, the IVRC program. And those are different programs, but they have the same goal and that they are, they are really meant for the states to be able to share their voter lists and find ways securely to identify uh, voters who are not registered to vote, but you might reach out to, but also voters who have uh, dual, dual names on the re registration list or wrong addresses or fixing up and cleaning up roles. And that's something I think in a very workmanlike way, the states have been moving towards. We think we can do more. Uh, it's you know been brought up in the context of the, of the newest commission and, and a request, but I think that general idea that we have 50 different registration lists uh, and it's a, 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 not a centralized system, but we need to have those those states talk to each other and really improve the, the voter registration lists. Uh, Secretary of State Condos, yes. could you talk a little bit about what the challenges are in, in your state in administering an election? I mean, we... Well, I think we, we've pretty much addressed a lot of them at this point. Uh, we had an old... Uh, it was based on Fox Pro, which is, it was an old technology that wasn't even supported any longer. That was where our, our voter uh, registration system sat since 2006 when it was first formed, the statewide. Uh, and remember, the statewide voter registration basically has only been really in effect for uh, mandated by, by Congress uh, for about, uh, well, since 19, uh, 2006. Um, and and so we've got a completely new system that just went live uh, about a year and a half ago. And during that process, we cleaned up our, our voter checklist uh, considerably, uh, taking off duplications and, and which we're able to do within the system. Um, the other thing that, that we did, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Fortier actually spoke, alluded to, autom uh, to uh, uh, online voter registration, which we also implemented. And online voter registration, not only is it, uh, uh, from a nickels and dimes standpoint, cheaper for the states, but it also is more accurate because the, we're, instead of trying to read or interpret someone's writing on a form, on a paper form, it, we're now getting people are typing it into the system. Um, and we, act, we actually implemented, as of January, a, another system called automatic voter registration, of which right now I believe there are 10 states that have implemented. We were the fourth state in the country to do it, uh, one of the first to do it legislatively. Um, and automatic voter registration means that we get a daily update from it's an opt-in versus an opt-out. It's opt-out. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the old system was an opt-in from the Department of Motor Vehicles, mm -hmm. which is a designated voter registration point. Now it's an opt-out. So unless you opt-out, if you if you check off the questions, are you a U.S. citizen, are you 18 years of age, and are you re residents of Vermont, you will automatically be registered on our system. So we're getting the data points that we need from DMV, and that provides us, <laughs> excuse me, with much more accurate 
uh, voter rolls because we're we're not getting people who people who have changed their driver's license but forgot to change their voter registration are getting updated on a regular basis. Uh, again, our system actually requires that it, it, it actually gets sent to the town clerk of jurisdiction, um, and they are the ones that make the add or delete uh, from a voter roll. We've uh, gotten an email from our regular listener, Jerry. Um, and if you want to join this conversation about voters voting, voter registration, and elections, you can do so by calling us at 866-476-3881. You can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI, on Twitter at WFYI, or you can do what Jerry did and send us an email at no limits at WFYI.org. Jerry writes, I'd like your panelists to place the discussion in an historical perspective. After all, the voter registration business is a comparatively new phenomenon. In Abe Lincoln's Illinois, as in much of the nation, voters merely showed up at the polls on Election Day and, well, voted. The secret ballot did not even become the common practice in the United States until the latter part of the 19th century. Um, the Secretary of, of State... Uh, Condos, I'm going to I'm going to stay with you on that one. Is uh, let's talk to his larger point that uh, that in some ways these questions about election integrity uh, are relatively new in our in our history. Why do they matter as much as they do? Well, I think there's, there's some truth to that. I mean, in the in the uh, if you want to call it the old days, mm-hmm. uh, we we you know the town clerks knew everybody in town they knew who who people were and i think as as we've grown uh we have new people coming in and and there are other things to do as far as keeping track but you know when you look at the big picture uh for instance here in vermont we had about 70 percent a little over 70 percent uh voter participation in, in the presidential election um when i say that it's hard enough to get people to vote once never mind twice and I, I think it, it, it sometimes people forget uh, that that voting is a constitutional right, and and uh, it's important that people do exercise their their option to vote, their their opportunity to vote. You know, talking about the integrity of elections, and I think where this commission really drops the ball is first of all, all three, starting with President Trump, uh, uh, Vice President Pence. And Secretary of State uh, Chris Kobach from from Kansas, all three have said that this issue is this commission is totally about the issue of voter fraud. And I think that the issue of voter fraud is 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 much less of a problem than uh, the election integrity, which, first of all, why aren't they uh, charged with looking at foreign interference and attacks on our voting systems? Why aren't they focusing on providing funding or, or imploring Congress to provide funding to the to the election assistance, the EAC uh, commission? Why aren't they looking at a at essentially a HAVA two to provide funding to the states like they did back in 2002? Um, you know, why aren't we looking at partisan gerrymandering? Why aren't we looking at updating all of our election equipment, automatic voter registration, election day voter registration? requiring a simple thing called requiring paper ballots and requiring election audits. These are things that we all do here in Vermont. Um, and I think uh, that, that when, if we can actually focus on the th- issues that are real, that, that lend itself to real election integrity, that's when, that's when we become more effective. Uh, Mr. Could, Fort- could I jump in? Yeah, Don? please. Uh, we've so we've, got, we've got about 50 seconds till a break, but go ahead, please. All right. Well, I'll give you a quick version here, and I'm not going to respond directly to uh, mm. what the secretary said, but just more to the historical point of view mm. that, that things have changed dramatically. Uh, I wrote a book some years ago on early and absentee voting, uh, and that is uh, went back and looked at uh, some of these changes in the secret ballot and, and registration, which, which surely were introduced in the late 19th century. Uh, but that is one other area in which we have made uh, dramatic changes in our voting system state by state. And that now about 40 percent of people are voting before Election Day. Uh, that's a lot of people at, at early voting centers, at polling places and, and many other people by by mail. So so that is a development along with the others. And I know we have to go to break, but that's one which I want to put on the table as something that has slowly changed in, in a revolutionary way over the last 25 or 30 years. 
Yeah, and we we will have to talk about the the elephant or the bear in the middle of the room uh, in in regard to the charges of voter fraud and all of that. But we will do that after the break. We are talking about uh, the sharing of voter registration data, really about elections and and voters here on No Limits today. My guests are John Fortier. He is director of the Democracy Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos, a Democrat. Uh, who's joining us by phone. We're hoping to be joined by Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, a Republican who is trapped in transit in this weather right now. And I would like to remind all of our listeners that we are under a severe thunderstorm watch here in, in central Indiana, so please take appropriate precautions. I'm John Crawl. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us. Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the statehousefile.com, and your host. We're talking today about uh, election challenges, specifically sharing of voter registration data between states, and ways to encourage people to participate in the system, also make sure that the system uh, is fair. My guests are John Fortier. He is director of the Democracy Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center. He's joining us via Skype. And uh, by phone, we are joined by Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos, a Democrat. We're hoping to be joined by Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, a Republican, uh, <laughs> who, unfortunately, the National Association of Secretaries of State had a gathering here in uh, in Indianapolis. And uh, we uh, we were hoping to catch some of them, but I think uh, Secretary of State Merrill has has been trapped in this weather in transit back to Alabama. So before well, I was I was supposed to fly back last night, and uh, my flights were uh, canceled around the country, and uh, and I ended up flying back this morning. I got here uh, back to Vermont just about forty five minutes ago. Oh wow! Oh wow! Well, we appreciate you making the rush to get on the air with us. Thank you. Very much. So we're talking about uh, that issue, and we probably need to talk about the Pence Commission, um, you know, and the uh, president has said that he thinks that there is there is widespread voter fraud uh, across the country that may have cost him the popular election. It's important to note that he hasn't provided any evidence to support those claims and that many of the secretaries of state, both uh, Republican and Democratic, have disputed them and said there is no such evidence in their states. Uh, John, um, I'm going to let let you take the first crack at, at that one. Uh, do we have to worry about the fact that maybe a lot of people in this country are voting who shouldn't be? Well, I mean, the first thing first thing I would say, the, the obvious thing is that, look, there are there are differences of opinion, I think, among the secretaries who are meeting and, and among Republicans and Democrats about the relative importance of voter integrity and voter access. Uh, you know, that being said, you know, I think I think there are a few things. One, uh, there certainly is uh, significant uh, significant issues about the messiness of voter registration lists. Uh, it is harder to uh, take from that uh, a bigger step and say, that leads to a lot of fraudulent voting. Uh, there are certainly instances of fraudulent voting in cases and vulnerabilities and, and a lot we don't know. So it's not as if um, those things aren't an issue, uh, but we don't have evidence that, that comes up to the numbers that are being bandied around about numbers of illegal votes being cast. But we do have you know some real concerns about uh, various vulnerabilities, one of them being uh, that, our, that our voter registration system is very decentralized, that we don't have a great handle on uh, keeping our lists accurate, as good a handle as we should. Secretary Condos was right. We've, we've sort of made some significant progress, first moving to more statewide lists, uh, as we did coming out of the 2006 uh, deadline, out of the Hump America Vote Act. And now going forward, having states doing some creative things, sharing with each other, trying to improve those lists again. Uh, most countries in the world have a very centralized list. We don't. And so there are those very significant issues, but you know there are, there are Partisans on both sides, the people on both sides, who really have you know, strong views about you know, access and integrity. I will say it certainly is true that there's there's a significant amount of messiness in the registration list. Not as much evidence that there is uh, a lot of fraudulent voting going on in America. 
Secretary of State Condos. So, you know, when when people talk about well, there's there's a million people or or, or so that are uh, that are dead that are still on the voter rolls. There will always be dead people on the on the voter rolls. That's just a fact of life. Uh, in fact, there was I, I believe it was North Carolina a few years ago, uh, maybe three or four years ago. Uh, the attorney general at the time made a claim that there was 900. Um, uh, they they had a voter fraud of 900 people who voted while they were uh, and they were dead. And and uh, it turned out that 890 of them uh, had voted early and then died after before the election day. So there, there are many different instances, and and, and I think uh, uh, Mr. Fortier is exactly right. It is a messy process. We also have to follow the federal law. The federal law says we can't challenge a voter uh, until they've not voted for two consecutive uh, uh, general elections. And and, uh, then we can send out a challenge letter for that person. And if, by the way, we we get a response back or don't get a response back, will depend on whether we take them off the voter roll. But it's also, uh, in our case, in our state, it's done at the local level. Um, but in any case, you know, the fact that there are dead people on the voter rolls or the fact that there are people who are registered in more than one state, that's not voter fraud. That the, What would be voter fraud is if the dead people or the people who voted, if the dead people voted or if the people who voted, who uh, are registered in more than one place, vote more than once. That would be then voter fraud. So, and, and there's very little likelihood or very little uh, uh um, of that happening, and I think, uh, but but yet we still continue to hear. I think President Trump was talking about 1.8 million dead people were registered. That's not a surprise. Yeah, we have gotten um, a, an email question via face or a Facebook question from a listener named Allison. And again, if you want to join the conversation via Facebook, you can find us at No Limits WFYI. Allison writes. It will be a great day when we can have a commission that is solely committed to increasing the voter participation rates in this country. Our current rate of 50 percent is pathetic. Why don't we make Election Day a national holiday? Good idea or bad idea, John Fortier? Well, a few things. One, uh, again, I'm not going to say anything directly about the new commission that is is getting going, but the commission that we work with, the, the President's Commission on Election Administration, I think did have a a lot of bipartisan support and, and did think of some ways in which uh, we could we could think about voter participation. It wasn't it wasn't uh, all about one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our voting rates are not as high as, as much of the world. That's absolutely true. I actually think 50 percent is understating it a little bit. Maybe we're quibbling, but we've actually done a little bit better in our last four presidential elections. We've been around or above 60 percent in most of those elections. Still room for improvement. The question about uh, whether we should have a holiday for uh, Election Day. You know, I think there's uh, looking at some of the research on this. It's not clear that that actually is something that will increase voter turnout. Some states have have wanted to experiment with that. Um, It it is often the case that some that that other factors take place. Uh, People who are bringing you to the polls aren't there. It's not as long a day. People go away for the weekend. So uh, or or maybe for that holiday. So I'm I'm not sure that that particular uh, reform is what is going to do it. Certainly, we have seen a great increase in the ability to vote early, either by mail or polling places. I mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. And if you're worried that voting on a Tuesday is really not your thing, uh, many state many states have given you the option now to to either show up at a polling place or to cast an absentee ballot without without an excuse, uh, and allow you to have that period of time where you choose the choose the, the timing of your vote. Over 40 percent of people are voting that way. It's not clear that that's absolutely increased voter turnout. But it has increased voter convenience, and many people like it. And it is a feature that, that states are really introducing that, that voters are demanding in many places. Are there other ways, Secretary of State Condos, that we could we could increase voter participation? Well, I, um, I, I think if, I think really early voting opportunities are really the way I think that that's moving forward. Although I know that there are some, in many states, or I shouldn't say many, but there are some states that are trying to reduce. Uh, you know, I, I can speak for Vermont. We actually, um, uh, when in 2009, when the Overseas and Military Vote Act uh, came down and, and said we had to provide 45 days 
uh, mail out ballots 45 days ahead of time for overseas and military. We we already had a no excuse 30 day early vote absentee vote um, uh, window. We we changed our 30 days out to 45. So we we are now at 45 days for early vote. Um, the other uh, another <coughs> excuse me yeah, another way I think uh, is something that. Uh, uh, the, the state of Washington, um, I believe Colorado and maybe Oregon have, um, and that is mail vote by mail, uh, which every registered voter is is mailed a ballot and they can they can either drop it off or mail it back. Um, uh, so uh, that's another way of doing it rather than actually having a polling place open, although uh, I think Colorado still has polling places for people to drop off. We've gotten uh, another comment from a listener via Facebook. And again, you can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI. You also can call us at 866 476 3881. Send us an email at no limits at WFYI.org or track us down on Twitter at WFYI. Natalie writes Vermont Secretary of State Condos is right about automatic voter registration and paper ballots, etc. But the most important thing he said was partisan gerrymandering. This is the prime reason that states like Indiana do not have and likely will not implement voting rights measures similar to Vermont, which should be a model for all states. Gerrymandering is a tremendous problem. Uh, um, John, I'll I'll throw that one to you first. Well, just first, our our commission, that the uh, president's commission, the earlier uh, commission, didn't take up that issue, took up election administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but on that issue, uh, you know, I will note just that again, like like. The way uh, we vote uh, across the country, the way we redistrict across the country is different in every state. Most states still do have a political process, as your listener Mm -hmm. referred to. Essentially, uh, the legislature, the governor uh, pass a law through the through the regular process. And if you're an all Republican or all Democratic state, often those those lines are drawn to favor uh, the the, um, sometimes the incumbents, but certainly also the, the party that's in power. Uh, there are some states that, that do some other things. So there's there's several states that have uh, commissions, and they, they look a little different. Uh, California and Arizona have one that's more of sort of a citizens commission is appointed to draw the lines. There's some places where both of the parties are given equal say so that not one party doesn't uh, sort of stick it to the other party. Uh, and there's a uh, state of Iowa has a has really a very uh, civil service process where where people in the in the more civil service, less political branch of, of government are drawing lines. Uh, under very strict criteria. So there are some other options. Many, many countries around the world actually use these types of options rather than, than the political process. But it is something that many, many states, the, the, the traditional way of drawing them is through uh, the political process uh, that one party or the other might control. We've got uh, a Facebook question um, from a listener named Ray. And again, uh, you can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI. Ray writes, uh, how does someone who owns property in Indiana and Florida and then votes absentee in one state but in person in the other get caught? I'll throw that one to uh, you, Secretary of State Condos. That, that's actually, I think that's part of the dilemma that, that John was, yeah. uh, that Mr. Fortier was talking about, was that, that we don't have a way of doing that right now. And that's why, uh, you know, Vermont is going to join the ERIC system later this year. We waited until we had our uh, our new system in place because it was a, a two-year process to put it in. And uh, uh, so we waited till we were cleaned up pretty good. And then now we're, we're ready to go join at the end of this year. We expect that there will be, a, I think it's going to be, there, I think there's 20 states now. And, and I was just at the meeting, they were talking about uh, that it might be as high as 23 by the end of uh this year <laughs> so um i think that until we have some kind of centralized checkpoint um you know it it, it will become difficult you know another point i think in, in relation to cleaning up the list as far as the um you know having dead people on the list and stuff is if if Congress would give us more better access to the the, the death index. Um, I think I, I think it's called safe or something like that. Um, but in any case, um, you know there there is a federal database on this, but uh, it works the other way. They want us to give them the information. They need to help us, uh, I believe, and, and have a two way street here so we can check our 
our databases against it. Uh, but, it, you know, it's when you go back to the history, I mean, in Vermont, you know, we actually, as, as a matter of course of all this discussion about uh, this new commission, we went back and looked at legislative intent and found that the Vermont in Vermont, the, the statewide or a voter checklist was actually created back in 1866 uh, and has been has been getting improved every, you know, every so often. And and, uh, uh, and now we're up to a, a statewide uh, voter checklist. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're getting better at what we do and we will continue to make efforts to improve the uh, integrity as we go. John, let me reframe that question just a little bit. Um, if we do get a, a centralized database like this, um, and you know, you're basically you're given a national uh, voter ID, would you, if you, and I'm going to try to be nonpartisan about about this, say, uh, would you be able to to shop where you would want to to vote? Say, you own property. Um, in uh, Ohio, and we'll say if you're uh, a Democrat uh, in Indiana, which is re- reliably Republican, or a Republican in Illinois, which tends to be reliably Democratic in national elections, would you be able to say, well, you know, I, I really don't want to vote in Indiana or Illinois because my vote's not going to have the impact. I just soon vote in Ohio. Would that be a possibility? Well, on the, on the first part of your question of whether we'll have a, a nationalized list, I, I think that's not likely, and not likely certainly in the near future. We are a country of, of strong federalism, and I think the secretary will acknowledge at the secretaries of state meeting, a lot of secretaries uh, believe that the primary place for running elections is the state, uh, not, not the federal government. And these opportunities for states to come together, like the ERIC program mm-hmm. that, that Vermont is joining, are voluntary uh, programs for the states to share data amongst themselves, not to not to have a, a federal authority uh, assemble an entire list. So mm-hmm. it, it's uh, a, a, the best we can do in a decentralized system, but it preserves the kind of federalism that I think has has been historically there. And many people still still really value. Um, the second question is about uh, shopping your vote. There there are voters who, by law, constitutionally, are really have some options as to how they vote. Um, uh, certainly a students who are uh, in another state for university, uh, maybe a property owner who has a second house, they're only allowed to vote once in a federal election, uh, but they they can sometimes have an option of which state they choose to register in. I would say we're a little loose about that. Uh, maybe it's okay that we're a little bit loose. Uh, we're not trying to find everybody who might uh, might have uh, broken every, every um, you know, broken little rules about this. We certainly don't want people to vote twice, and there are some options with these programs that share data to, to identify that through voter history, one program more than the other, although the ERIC program, I think, is, is contemplating bringing in some voter history. Uh, but it is the right of voters in certain circumstances, not all circumstances, to have some options of where they vote. And some some voters are going to take that option and, and register with with some notice, not, not the day before the election in many states, although some states have that, uh, but but take the option of, of voting in a state that they feel like they're, they're, they're more uh, a resident of than the other. We've gotten a comment uh, from a listener uh, named William via Facebook. And again, you can find us on Facebook at No Limits WFYI. William writes, making Election Day a holiday will only benefit those who actually get holidays off. Millions of Americans have to work regardless of whether or not it's a holiday. And many of them are lower income individuals. Is that something we've got about 20 seconds here, John? that we've got to worry about the, the sort of unintended consequences of some of the changes? Yeah, as I say, I'm not sure a holiday would work so well, but longer voting hours on Election Day and some more options as to voting early, either by mail or in person, that could give a lot of people different options depending on their life circumstances. And I think that's probably a better option than simply the holiday. We are talking about elections and voting here on No Limits today. My guests are John Fortier, Director of the Democracy Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and um, and Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos, a Democrat. If you want to join the conversation, please give us a buzz at 866-476-3881 or send us an email at nolimits at wfyi.org. I'm John Kroll. You're listening to No Limits. Please stay with us.
Welcome back to No Limits. I am John Crawl, director of Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, publisher of the StatehouseFile.com, and your host. We're talking about uh, voter registration, um, election integrity, and issues basic to uh, determining who leads uh, in a self-governing society. Um, my guests are John Fortier. He is director of the Democracy Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center. He's joining us via Skype. And by phone, we are joined by Vermont Secretary of State Jim Condos. He is a Democrat. I should say to our listeners, there is a, a severe thunderstorm watch that for some parts of our listening area will expire in about uh, four minutes. Uh, but other parts, it's been extended till after 2 o'clock. We would encourage everyone to take appropriate precautions and be safe out there. If you want to join this conversation, you can send us an email at nolimitswfyi.org. You can find us on Facebook at nolimitswfyi, on Twitter at WFYI, or you can do what a listener named Kathleen has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. Kathleen, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Yes. Certainly. Uh, I, I hope you will address the situation of the 300 million illegal immigrants that the president keeps saying voted. Um, I'm not concerned about the dead people on the registers, and I'm really not concerned if three or four people vote in two different states. I don't think we're talking about uh, votes that make it that big a difference. But the 300 million illegal uh, immigrants sorry, that were bust in and out, that concerns me that and he still thinks that's happened. Well, probably ought to correct. It's three million. Three hundred million is greater than the population oh, of this apologies. country right yes, now. Yes, yes, yes. Three million, just to clarify. I was real close. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Thanks very much for the call. Yes. <laughs> Certainly. Thank you. John. Well, I think, you know, uh, maybe the caller and also the president are off in terms of the number of zeros uh, that, that go in these numbers. Uh, look, we don't, we don't have evidence in uh, that there are very large numbers of uh, fraudulent votes, so whether whether one is considering people who are voting who are not citizens or, or other types of fraud, uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't there aren't some vulnerabilities and that there isn't some fraud out there and there aren't some real integrity issues. There are. Um, look, I, I do think we have some uh, issues of of making sure in the registration process that we uh, get the information for uh, people to be eligible to vote, which includes, of course, citizenship and, and residence in the right place. And uh, you know, we don't do a perfect job of that. So. I think there's certainly some work that can be done on uh, making sure that we have lists that are clean with all, uh, with respect to all of these categories. Uh, but I don't think we, we have evidence that numbers are looking anything like the, the numbers that, have, that were quoted. What, what, what numbers do we think we, we see in that regard? Because we've got a, another question from a listener named Jen via Facebook that's, uh, that is similar in nature, just wants to know uh, how common uh, – voting by illegal or undocumented immigrants might be? Well, I mean, I, I will say that I think there are, there are a variety of reasons why we, we actually don't know the answer. That just, because we, just because we don't know doesn't mean that number, I think, is, is absolutely an enormous number. But it is the case that, that we don't always have, um, uh, you know, there are places where uh, people are asked to, to um, uh, sign an affidavit or swear that they're a citizen. Other places that are, that are checking citizenship um, there, you know, there are possibilities of, of people slipping through the cracks and getting through the system, either accidentally or, or on purpose. Uh, so we don't really know the numbers. I guess, you know, I, I don't expect that they are large, large numbers for a variety of reasons. I think um, they're around the, this, these issues are around the edges, but it is, you know, there are some real concerns and we also don't have the best mechanisms for determining exactly how much, how much is going on that we should be committing. We're talking about uh, elections and voting here on No Limits. Luke, you're on the air. Hi there, John. Hi. What's on Hi, your mind? Uh, my, I'm sorry to interrupt you. My question was simply, um, there's been a lot of talk about a general election of voter fraud, but I would like to, us to talk more about um, voter fraud in the Democratic primary across the country. Uh, I know that Debbie Wasserman Schultz, when she was the Democratic national chairwoman, she actually canceled exit polls after New York had an exit poll uh, of ranging from 12%. Anything over 4% is considered fraud. So I'm um, just a little concerned about why that hasn't ever been a subject of concern recently. Thanks very much for the call and the question. Secretary, Secretary of State Condos. 
Uh, I think when when you start talking about a, a party primary uh, situation, you're you're really talking. I mean, when you when you think about, uh, and we say this often, uh, we have three major parties in the state of Vermont. We have the progressives, the Republicans, and the Democrats. When we have the general election primary, uh, for instance, it is those are three. We actually call them three elections. There's an election for the for e, a primary election for each of those parties. The same happens at the presidential primary. And those a lot of the rules we might have state rules that are generic uh, or general, uh, and then but some of the detail behind it is actually set by the party. And um, you know, as as someone, and I'm proud of the fact that you know I supported Bernie. I'm Bernie won Bernie won. 100% of the cities and towns in the state of Vermont, uh, but uh, you know, and and my support was definitely behind Bernie at the at the DNC convention. But but I think that that you're you're really talking about a situation where uh, this is where it gets a little convoluted because some of it's party run and some of it's state run, and we manage those primaries, but it's really the the uh, primaries are run by the the parties in a sense. John, you have thoughts you want to add? No, I would just echo the primaries are really hybrid elections and, and done very differently in different places and caucuses are different than primaries. So in, in one way, they are a, a private entity, a party holding an election. On the other hand, many of them use the mechanisms of the state. And so um, some of the some of the issues are, you know, that, that, we, that come up in primaries might be asked of uh, parties, what was going wrong, and others, others really of, of the election officials. Uh, it, it's going to depend very much on where you are, what kind of what kind of setup you have. Has the the uh, <laughs> the increased difficulty in getting accurate polling um, raised the stakes in this whole discussion? Because obviously, uh, you know, perhaps the people who had the worst time of it on election day were the pollsters, uh, very few of whom were were anywhere close to right. Some of that is because it's now harder, you know, it was e- we had models that worked in a landline-based society where you could do phoning, but now um, tracking down voters, particularly those younger voters or those from lower incomes, is getting harder and harder for pollsters to do. John. Well, one thing I'll note is that there are countries around the world which put a moratorium on, on polling in the last few days or last week of the election. Uh, that's not something... The U.S. has ever done, and I think it's actually becoming a little impractical with the Internet to, to sort of stop that sort of thing. But there certainly are countries who are worried about that in a very significant way and do something mm-hmm. different than, than us. Um, you know, both a, a little bit of a defensive polling. I think the pollsters were actually broadly right at the, the national poll results. Uh, Donald Trump won the election, but he, he did lose the popular vote by a couple of percentage points. Those polls were roughly around that or certainly within the margin of error. Um, I, I do think that we, you know, aren't, we certainly didn't poll uh, as much as we should have, or as accurately at the state level, and that's how uh, Donald Trump's once uh, wins stuck up on a number of people, including probably the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, but you know, pollsters, I think there, there's a limit to, to the precision and accuracy of polling, and they are upfront with margins of error. But I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking we know the difference between a 51% average poll and, and 53%. Uh, pollsters are going to tell you in the, in, that you're in the right ballpark, not that you, you, know, you have the exact right score. We are talking about voting and elections here on No Limits. If you want to join the conversation, you can do what a listener named Leonard has done and give us a call at 866-476-3881. Leonard, you're on the air. Yeah, John, this is Leonard Goldstein. <laughs> Hi, Len, how are you? I'm good. Um, it seems to me that there are uh, states who are um, interested in reducing the voter numbers rather than making it easier. Uh, Some of the simple steps, I would think, include um, voting over the weekend when it's easier for people to get to the polls and extending voting hours. Uh, I'm not sure that the uh, country is uh, enthusiastic about increasing voter registration. Thanks very much for the call and uh, and the comments, Len. So uh, let me ask this, uh, picking up on Len, 
Lynn's question, do we have to have um, just an election day? I mean, in the earliest days of the republic, different states, different places held their elections, not just on different Tuesdays, but <laughs> entirely different days of the week and and all of that. Would that be a good idea to sort of spread this out so that we don't have this huge, uh, you know, political Super Bowl every two years? Secretary of State Condos, I'll throw that one to you. Well, first. I, I, I think um, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, when you think about most of our voting, most of our legislatures, you know, they were all uh, actually uh, they worked around the the agri calendar, if you want to call it, uh, so to mm-hmm. speak. And and I think um, uh, you know, in essence, we have been trying to to do that. Like like I said earlier, Vermont has forty five days of early no excuse absentee, uh, and and I think some states have. I think New Hampshire, our sis, my sister state next to us, uh, has zero early voting, and and they only vote on on election day, and and uh, and they're perfectly happy to stay that way, and we're perfectly happy to stay at 45. Then you look at places like Washington, Oregon, and um, Colorado, who've gone to vote by mail, where the the ballots are mailed out, say 45 days ahead of time. And then they trickle in during the period until election day when they're processed. So I think you know it's um, uh, obviously <laughs> you can't have a situation where you, you you have a running total of who's winning or who's not. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can have a situation perhaps where you're collecting the ballots and then they're processed on one day. And I think you know we're we're all probably experimenting with different things, mm-hmm. uh, but I. I I kind of agree with John that that uh, you know it's it's you know we got 50 states out there and uh, right now there's pretty much 50 sets of rules out there and and that's pretty much the way it's going to be for a while I think. We've gotten a, a question via Facebook from a listener named Kyle and again if you want to join the conversation by Facebook you can find us at No Limits WFYI. Kyle writes, why wouldn't they attach voting to our social security numbers in a way that would allow for greater oversight? If managed by one central institution, they could see our age, legal status, voting status, as well as be able to minimize fraud by only allowing one vote per Social Security number. John, I'll throw that one to you. Well, there is something uh, along these lines in in federal law that that really now states are required to have a unique identifier for voters. Uh, It usually isn't the the full of the Social Security number, and that's going to vary from state to state what they allow, but the with the last four digits, uh, or or perhaps another individual license number or something that they that they have a unique identifier. Um, but again, I think it, it comes down to this history we have of uh, federalism and decentralization. Uh, both uh, that states have some different rules about what what sort of unique identifiers they allow, and that they don't want a a central person or institution in the federal government with all of that power. I mean. The, People who really worry about these things worry that an administration in power running for office again or a party in power uh, in control of all the electoral me- mechanisms across the country, you know, might be able to shade the election in their direction where now at least the states have have um, you know, their own rules and laws that are that are more appropriate for their their citizens. So um, there is some unique identifier. Some of these programs that share things among the states are are reliant on that. It really helps make much better matches across the states to figure out if if you have people registered in two places or somebody has moved and needs to update their address. But um, there's also some sensitivity, both in privacy and in, in the federalism concerns that different states want to do. Things. We are talking about elections and voting here on No Limits. Don, welcome to the program. Don, are you Thank with? You. Certainly. What's Thank on your mind? My, my question is, why can we continue to have these discussions about our elections? The percentage point uh, that was won by uh, the polls and how many polls we didn't have. Why, why isn't the uh, fact that Donald Trump won the election with the help of the Russian government? And, and everyone knows that that was a factor in the election. Why isn't that ever part of the discussion? I'll take the rest of it off offline. Thank you. Thanks very much for the call, Don. 
probably important to uh, to point out here before I throw this question to someone else that uh, that there are criminal investigations going on in regard to that right now, and it's probably not wise to speculate that much in advance of uh, any kind of indictment, much less a, a conviction of of any kind. But should we be talking about the possibility, you know, given that uh, from the earliest days, uh, I think in Washington's farewell address, he warned about the influence that other other countries and governments might try to have on our elections and the way we conduct our government. Is it right for us to worry about the role that the Russian government might have played in this election? John, I'm going to give you about uh, a minute to answer that, and then I'd like to hear Secretary of State Condis's thoughts as well. Well, we're, we're obviously right to worry about this, and we shouldn't uh, condone other, other countries trying to influence our elections. I will note that it probably is not the easiest thing for us to stop other countries, given the Internet and other, other ways of, of the free exchange of information, of doing some sorts of things around the edges. Uh, I will emphasize that there was no, that we know of, changing of votes in America. And that's important. A lot of people are worried that voting machines of various sorts will be hacked. And there are some issues there, but but that they're all connected to the Internet or it's easy to, to come at this in a, in a mass way, I think is not true. Uh, but uh, also courts have, have had times where they've looked at elections and said there was something really wrong in a rare cases that had to rerun elections. Those really only happen when, when you can show that a certain number of votes themselves were were corrupted or there was something wrong, not that there was uh, an outside force trying to influence opinion, which is which is a bad thing, but a lot harder to prove in a sort of uh, way that, that, that you can quantify and say that changed the election. So I think there's some difficult questions. I'll leave aside the specifics, as you're right, we have investigations going on, but, but difficult questions that we will face in the future about the ability of information to come in from the outside and for courts to figure out when uh, changes to elections are, are significant enough to have affected the outcome rather than just um, you know, been part of the atmosphere of that election. Secretary of State Condos, you get about 30 seconds. Uh, I, I, I think we do have to pay attention to the foreign interference and attacks on our voting systems. I, like John, I want to reiterate that, uh, that it's very, very difficult to try to uh, change any votes. It, it, you know, I, and I think the recent upplay about uh, uh, about our, our voter rolls, that's that's where this is kind of I think the bag actors have figured it out. So now we just have to stay on top of it. One of the things that is difficult is the governments generally have a tough time keeping up with technology. I know that uh, Secretary of State Condos, I'm sorry, I have to cut you off because we have right. run out of time. But I'd like to thank both of my guests for a lively and informative conversation. I'm John Kroll. Thank you for joining us. No Limits is a production of 90.1 WFYI Public Radio, Indianapolis. Producer, Shannon Cagle. Interactive Media Coordinator, Scott McAllister. Technical Producers, Cedric Freeman and Chris Flood. And Board Engineer, Joe Hatcher. No Limits is made available through IPBS, Indiana's public broadcasting stations.